Who went to a really large college? Did anyone go to one of those big colleges with, um, with classes of 100 people or more, 200 people? You've been there? Um, from what I, I've never been at a college that size or a classroom that size, but from what I understand, you know, the professor is, is teaching and the students, but doesn't really know the students. He'll teach them, um, he'll have someone grade their papers, and in this large classroom setting, the students will never actually talk with the professor. Now, that's not all bad because you can still learn from them and their lectures. You can appreciate their wisdom, uh, you can glean from their knowledge, but you're not going to actually have a relationship with that professor, right? Why is that? Because a real relationship involves two-way communication, right? Not only him speaking to you, but you speaking to him. In the same exact way, spiritual progress requires two-way communication with the Lord. Him speaking to you, but you speaking to him because he is listening. Today, then, we're talking about prayer. And I think prayer is just your response to a conversation that God has already started in Scripture. He is speaking to you in Scripture. He has spoken through his word. When we pray, we continue that conversation with the Lord. If you don't pray, you don't, you're not appropriating your relationship with the Father that Christ has purchased with for you. You're not talking to him. It is only through prayer that you can make requests to the Lord. It is through prayer that you cast your burdens on the Lord, that you entrust him with difficult situations, where you cry out to him and you thank him. That's what, that's what prayer is. It's through prayer that you confess sins, you express your, your struggles, but if you're not actually communicating with the Lord, you do not have a real depth of relationship that Christ has purchased for you. So, prayer is the way that a Christian actively and consciously interacts with God. And without prayer, you're not doing that. You're not actively and you're not consciously interacting with God. Now, I am not here today to make you feel bad about not praying enough. I am here today to encourage you to restart your spiritual prayer life from this day forward. All right? And I would, my challenge for you is going to be to make prayer a habit every day for the rest of your life. So, what I want to do is I want to give, I want to put prayer into its theological context first. Second of all, I want to give you practical, a practical teaching on prayer. So first the theological and then the practical. Let's start with theological. Um, the first humans had fellowship with God. 
Adam and Eve in Genesis. They had true fellowship with God. But what happened? The Lord said, the day you disobey me and eat this fruit, that's the day you will die. And eating the fruit represents autonomy, wanting to be God yourself, being governed by self-law. Um, and they did that. And the day they ate that fruit, they did die, but not physically, but there was a spiritual death. Because that is the day that the Lord drove them out of the garden and protected it with a flaming sword. The real loss for Adam and Eve and for all of us was separation from God. Separation from the presence, fellowship, and being fully reconciled to God. That's the loss. And the entire Old Testament from that day forth was marked by restricted access to God. And this is seen in the temple. When, when you walked into the temple, in the Old Covenant temple, there was a massive curtain. It was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. And it was a temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holy places. Now, you remember what the holy of holies was? It's a place where God's presence dwelt above the Ark of the Covenant. So you did not have access to the presence of God as an Old Covenant Jew. There was a physical barrier between you and God. And even though the temple was in the midst of God's people, you, didn't, you couldn't go into the presence of the Lord. And that physical barrier represented a spiritual barrier of sin that has cut man off from the presence of God. So the Old Covenant is about restricted access to the Lord. And only the high priest could go into the temple. And he could go in, into the temple only with blood. And only once a year. And not to fellowship with the Lord but to make atonement for sin. So what you had in the Old Covenant is restricted access to God, institutionalized religion, and not access to the presence of God. All you had was a trembling priest going into the Holy of Holies with blood to make atonement for sin for the year on the Day of Atonement. That's all you had. Under the law, there was no personal, intimate access to God. It was only fear, blood, a priest, and once a year. Now, the message of the gospel, though, the new covenant. So when I say new covenant, you know I mean gospel, right? It's the new way that God has opened up for humanity to be back into fellowship with the Lord. It's a new promise. The gospel is the message about how God has granted access to himself through Christ. That is the message of the gospel compressed into its most dense form. It is that God has given you access to himself through Christ by the Spirit. Now in Matthew 27, let's turn there, Matthew 27, 45 
we see what happens at the cross. Matthew 27, 45. It reads, Now the sixth hour, from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man calls Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus again cried with a loud voice and yielded up the spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. I want you to notice especially that last verse that the curtain of the temple that I had just spoken about 60 feet high 30 feet wide was torn in two from top to bottom meaning at the hands of God the tearing began from the heavens and ended at the very bottom. What that means is that the cross opened a way into the Holy of Holies so that you and I could have access to the Father through the death of Christ. That is what the cross did for you. So the gospel is more than about forgiveness. It is that, but it's more. Why would you want to be forgiven? Why do you want to be justified? It is so that you can be back into fellowship with God. Paul uses the word reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He goes on to say, Therefore, we are ambassadors on behalf of Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of God being given a justified status in the eyes of the Lord is so that you could enter his presence without being eviscerated. So you are reconciled to God through the cross. In Ephesians, Paul says, for through Christ we, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So access is a key word. You have access to the Father fully and relationally. The author of Hebrews says that Christ is our high priest who has gone into the Holy of Holies and we can follow him there. You can follow him into the holy place. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, he says, For we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way, in every, every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive grace and mercy in times of need. Draw near to the throne of grace in prayer. Appropriate the relationship with the Father that Christ has purchased for you. Commentator William Lane, in his commentary on Hebrews, says, The encouragement here is complemented by an exhortation to persistent prayer. The force, uh, force of the present tense word is, Let us again and again draw near to the throne of grace. The throne of grace is the place of God's presence. The only one who is permitted to draw near under the provisions of the Mosaic Covenant was the high priest, who could approach the altar in the most holy place of the tabernacle once a year, on the Day of Atonement. In bold extension of that language of worship, the writer calls the community to recognize that through his priestly ministry, Christ has achieved for what, I what Israel never enjoyed, namely, immediate access to God and the freedom to draw near to him continually. They may draw near to God through prayer with confidence that they will be graciously received. And you are not just received. I would add to those comments. You are adoptive. You are not just forgiven. You're not just justified. You are a son. And you are a daughter in Christ. That is more than access. That's fellowship. That's relationship with God, your Father. He is your Father, after all. So understand this. There is a shift from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Don't flatten that out. There is a shift, all right? The shift from the Old Covenant to the new covenant marks the shift from restricted access to God in institutionalized religion to an intimate, personal fellowship with the God of the universe. Amen? Amen. Chapter 7. Me and John were in a Bible study, and uh, we went through chapter 7 of that Bible study says God is relational. And I think we did chapter 7 a number of times. <laughs> it was <laughs> God is relational. And it is through Christ that you have that relationship with God. Now, what is prayer then? When I pray as a Christian, not as a pagan, but when I pray as a Christian, what I am doing is I am appropriating my relationship to the Father as a child through Christ. I'm actually making good on the relationship that Christ has purchased for me. You understand that? So you're not just talking to some ancient deity who's distant and far off and cold and detached. You are appropriating your relationship as a son or a daughter 
to the Father, okay? So prayer is an awesome and powerful relational activity where you're consciously interacting with God. Now, that's the theological. I want to get into the practical now. And to do that, I want to give you four reasons that you should pray, three ways to start praying, two ways to strengthen prayer, and one challenge to pray. Four reasons why you should pray, first of all. First, and most importantly, you should pray to fellowship with God. One quote from David Mathis in his excellent book called Habits of Grace says, Without prayer, there is no true relationship with God. No deep delight in who he is, but only glimpses from afar. So prayer is the way, as I've been saying, that you actually approach God and interact with him. So you can fellowship with God by pouring out your heart to him. You can cast your cares on the Lord, like scripture tells us. Ask him for things. He will not withhold from you a good gift according to his will. Entrust him with difficult situations, like the ones the Ferreras are going through right now. And I want us to lift them up in prayer. Ben and Sarah and Steve and Kelly, bless them, Lord. I ask that they're... I ask that God's power would be upon that house. You can thank Him. It is ha you can acknowledge answered prayer, which I've seen in my life. You can confess to Him. You can speak with Him. You can tell Him how you're tired and weary. And then you can find Him lifting you up. But that is done through prayer. And without prayer, you're not actually doing business with God, your Father. So the first reason you should pray is the fellowship with God. It's the relationship that Christ has purchased for you. Second, you should pray to receive grace and mercy in times of need. Again, I want to read that verse. Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect who is tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace so that you might receive grace and mercy in times of need. Does anyone have times of need? I do. Do you need grace and mercy for those times of need? Strength? Power? Go to the throne of grace and find grace and mercy in times of need. Through prayer. That is available to you. Through Christ. You have access to the Father. And you can draw near to him in prayer. I, I don't think it's an overstatement to say. Those who have more grace and mercy in their lives. Are those who have gone to the Father. And asked for it. Right? Ask for it. Um, third reason you should pray is because God is pleased to move with power in response to prayer. Move with power in response to prayer. If you would, turn with me to 2 Kings 19. 
in the Bible times, biblical times, armies used to dominate one another. It's just what you did. And you would take over a city, kill the men, take the women, sacrifice the children. And um, this is what Assyria was doing to Israel. And if you remember, um, Assyria was threatening Israel, saying to give up right now, and we will have mercy on you. But if you do not open the gates of your city, we will seize your city. That means we will stand around your city, our armies will encircle your city for months and years, and you will eat your dung, and you will drink your urine, they said. And we will have your women. And we, will, and we will utterly destroy your city. And we will have no mercy on you. Hezekiah, and what might be the most powerful and awesome demonstration of desperate need, takes a letter that says all this. While, probably, maybe I, I picture him looking over the city walls and seeing, seeing the city surrounded with armies. And he has a letter from the speaker who gave it to him that threatens him to open the city gates and threatens him with sure death. And then we're told what Hezekiah does with that letter. In verse 14, 2 Kings 19 verse 14, it says that Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made the heavens and the earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So imagine Hezekiah with women and children weeping on the streets, taking this scroll, going into the temple, laying it out before the Lord, bowing and praying this prayer. I won't read the whole thing, but in verse 20, we are told that Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. 
Skipping down to verse 32 then. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by that same way he will return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city, and I will save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. At that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyria. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Hezekiah was brought to an end of himself. No power, no strength, desperation, tears, sorrow, fears within and fears without. And that is when God is pleased to move with power. So what is Satan threatening you with? What enemy is standing at the gate of your very soul and threatening to do to you. Take that and lay it before the Lord. Say, Lord, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And he will hear your prayer, and he will slaughter your enemies. The way to reach out to God in desperation like that is through prayer. Because God is pleased to move in power through desperate prayer. You understand? Do not give up. Do not give in to the enemy. He will not have his city be broken into. He has a jealousy for his saints. And he will thwart his enemy with a strong arm And you will find dead bodies in your wake, in the best sense of that term. Four, you should pray because God answers prayer. Here's a little known secret. You know why you don't have? Because you don't ask. James 4.3, you don't have because you don't ask. That's why you don't have. But you say, well, I have asked. I've asked. I'm asking every day. You know why you don't have? You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your lusts. That's why you ask and don't receive. The right approach is to pray according to God's will. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything... According to his will, he hears us. Let me read that again. This is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So, what good gift do you believe God will not withhold from you? And please understand, I'm not talking about health and wealth here. In, in, that, in that 
um, TBN kind of way. I'm talking about it may be health. It may be something you need. Don't forget, God is a giver of good gifts. And he wants to bless you, right? That's, in, that's just in Scripture. Now, sometimes he might say no. And that's an answer, too, right? Paul said, I prayed three times, three times, that God would remove this demon from me, this messenger of Satan, and, which is a very odd thing to say. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So understand, demons are very useful for Christians. They help you in spiritual growth. They don't just buffet you. And God said, I will not remove this messenger of Satan because my grace is sufficient for you. I want to keep you weak, Paul, so that my power might be perfect in weakness. I was talking to somebody earlier this week um, that wants the power of God. I praise God for that. But the most powerful thing this person said to me was that they are weak and they need the Lord. That, that is somebody that God is going to use and work through in power. You want to talk about power? Become nothing. Become desperate and weak and needy for God. I'm not saying become an incompetent human. I'm saying <laughs> depend on the Lord and he will renew your strength. Every one of these things could be a separate sermon themselves, but I'm sparing you and I'm trying to get through this. Quickly, what I'm planning to do is for the past three years, I've been working, for, uh, with, working on a guide, a spiritual growth guide. I'm going to print out, have in the back for you, that recapitulates and expands on the things I've been speaking about in this spiritual growth campaign. Um, so that's coming, and I hope you'll make use of it. Uh, but those are the four reasons you should pray. You should pray to fellowship with God. You should pray to receive grace and mercy in times of need. You should pray because God moves with power when you pray. And you should pray because God answers prayer. Good motivations to pray. Now, here are three ways to start praying. All right? Because my challenge for you is to pray every day. So here's how you could start praying. Number one, I heard a preacher say, pray what you got. What do you have? What's on your heart? What are you struggling with? What are you sad about? What are you angry about? What's on your mind? What are you thankful for? What do you need to confess? Pray what you got. Don't forget, prayer is not a performance. And I've, I've learned this recently. I've come to finally realize this more and more over the past couple years. That prayer is not the time to re repeat the things that I think God wants me to say to him. Now, certainly, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, but he didn't say repeat after me. Right? The Lord's Prayer offers structure for us where we praise the Lord, we ask for forgiveness, we ask that his will might be done, we ask for what we need today, and we ask for deliverance from evil. So it's a good structure for prayer. But pray what you've got. Um, 
honestly bear your heart to the Lord. The Lord knows. It's, it's not like you have to hide what's in your heart before the Lord. And, under, and I'm not saying be irreverent. I think that's, that's kind of niche today to kind of be irreverent to the Lord. Don't dare do that. I'm saying pray what's on your heart. Um, honestly bear your heart to God. I remember we were dealing with a difficult situation in this church about a year and a half ago, and I didn't know what to do. So I said, I remember walking through Walden Park saying, God, I don't, I don't know what, what the right thing is to do. It could go either way. The Lord guided me through that situation, but that was my prayer for about an hour. I just don't know, Lord. What? And I was talking to him about this option and that option. So, pray what you got. The New City Catechism, which I really like because it has songs to the, the questions and it helps get the, the truth in the, in the children's heart. But the question on prayer is, what is prayer? And the answer is, prayer is pouring out your heart to God. I love that. It's what's here, pour out your heart to God. Okay? So, there's freedom in prayer, so pray what you got. Secondly, second way to start praying is pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. Here's the problem. If you only ever approach God in prayer with what's on your mind and what's on your heart, three things are going to happen. Number one, your prayers are going to be repetitive and you're going to be saying the same thing. Number two, your prayers are going to be very shallow eventually. And number three, you're going to notice that your mind will tend to wander in prayer because you're, you're kind of bored with yourself. So, what you need to do is use God's words to light a fire in your heart. Everyone, anyone ever build a campfire before? What's the first thing you need? Kindling, right? You don't put big massive logs on the fire and light a match under it and just wait. That's not how you're going to get that fire started. What you need is kindling, small little sticks to put under the log. Light the fire under there. That'll catch fire first. And that'll slowly, slowly burn the bigger log. The Bible is like kindling for prayer. All right? Um, so I want, you, I want to encourage you to use the Bible um, as a kindling for prayer. Let God's words warm your soul in prayer. Don Carson, uh, not Don Carson, Don Whitney in Spiritual Dis Disciplines for the Christian Life says, what you are doing is taking the words that originated in the heart and mind of God and you are circulating them through your heart and mind back to God. By this means, his words become the wings of your prayer. Alright? So, what you could do Psalm 5. Let's practice really quick. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my groaning. Great prayer, great beginning. So, Lord, I'm asking you to hear my prayer, and I know through Christ you do hear me. So I am coming with a desperation 
before you right now. Give ear. Bend to hear my prayer, Lord. And consider my groaning because in my heart, what this situation is doing to me, it is eating me. It is tearing away at me. Verse 2, give attention to the sound of my cry, Lord. And I do feel like crying. See, what I'm doing is I'm taking those words and I'm running them through my own soul back to the Lord. Okay? Kindling. The Bible is kindling for prayer. I suggest in your Bible reading you read one Old Testament, New Te one New Testament, and pray through five to ten verses of a psalm every day, working your way through the psalms. All right, so use the Bible. That's another way to start praying. A third way to start praying is structure. Um, use the ACTS acronym. You've heard of that before, right? ACTS, it's the acronym A-C-T-S. First, adore God, confess your sins, thank Him. Then S is for supplication, which means ask pouring out your requests to the Lord. So adore Him, praise Him for who He is, confess your sins, ask Him to search your heart for unknown blockages that are disrupting your fellowship and relationship with Him. Thank Him for His provision for who He is. Then supplication, ask him for what you need and for strength that day. So those are three ways to pray. Um, pray what you got, pray the Bible, and pray Acts. Getting towards the end then, two ways to strengthen prayer. Whoever feels like their prayers are weak, I feel weak when I pray sometimes. I want my, my prayers to be more, I don't want to say more better, but more power, more just meaty. Now, the two ways that you can have a stronger prayer life, I have found by experience, is to pray from faith, not feelings. Pray from out of my faith, not my feelings. When you pray, it's not, it may not feel like you're talking to the creator of the universe, right? Sometimes the feeling of prayer is really mundane. But that is what you are promised in prayer. You are promised that when you pray, you are talking to the creator of the universe, your heavenly father. So to pray from faith is to consciously acknowledge that reality. So when you pray, do not grade the realness of your prayers based on whether you were able to feel it or not. When you pray, base the realness on, of your prayers on the promise that God hears your prayer according to your will. That's a prayer in faith. And that's going to lead to passionate prayer. Because you're praying in faith. If you try to go through the back door and pray from feelings into faith, you're not going to get there. Pray with confidence that I am talking to the Father and that He hears me and that He withholds no good thing from me and I am asking according to His will. And that is how you can pray with more power. Because the reality of a thing does not depend on your ability to perceive that thing. 
So sometimes you might, might not feel like you're talking to the creator of the universe, but you are. You may not feel like your heart is pumping blood through your body right now, but it is. You may not feel like there are electrical signals going through synapses in your brain, but they are. You may not feel like you're talking to the almighty God when you pray, but you're promised that that is what you're doing. So pray from out of faith first. Begin with faith in prayer. And that's going to strengthen your prayer. Secondly, second way to strengthen prayer is to pray in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. When you pray, most of the time you will feel like you're not able to fully articulate what's in your soul. Anyone have this experience? You're not fully able to articulate the depths of your hunger for the Lord, the depths of your sorrow, the depths of your joy. It, it's like you can't reach down into the fire of your inner being. It's like the rope of your prayer is not long enough to get down into the depths so I can bring that up and pray, right? And give it to the Lord. So, what you do is not try to drudge something up necessarily. What I suggest you do is trust that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and beautifying your prayers. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, get this, too deep for words. Groanings too deep to articulate fully and properly and adequately. Your spirit is able to get into the fire of your inner man. Maybe your, your vernacular and your own mind can't reach there, but the spirit can. And he intercedes with you with groaning for you, with groanings too deep for words. So, I strongly suggest that when you pray, you pray in reliance on the Holy Spirit to take your fumbling, clumsy, wooden prayers and ask the Holy Spirit to beautify them and to make them like incense in the presence of the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to present my prayers which don't reach into the depths of my heart and to make them something wonderful in the courts of the Lord. My burdens, my sorrows, my hunger, my joy, my tongue cannot articulate. We have dull minds and dull hearts. And the Holy Spirit will take your prayer and translate them into fragrance. So, sometimes you will not have the words and you might just say, Lord, I want to worship you. Praise your name. I heard one preacher said, sometimes all he can bring himself to is say, you know, Lord. You know. Prayer from Second Chronicles 20, 12 says, I don't know what to do. 
but my eyes are on you. So understand, when I say pray in reliance on the Holy Spirit, He is God. And understand that the power of your prayer is not in your words, it's in the one to whom you are praying them. Right? So those are two ways you can strengthen prayer. Pray from faith, not feelings. And then pray in reliance on the Holy Spirit to beautify your prayers in the presence of the Lord. Challenge today is I, want to ma- I would challenge you to make prayer a habit for the rest of your life. Take a specific time of day. Set it aside for the Lord in prayer. You need to build up your prayer muscles. So I suggest start with three and a half minutes tonight. Tomorrow, go to five minutes. Stick with that for a couple weeks. Build up to ten minutes. Um, But what I want you to do is set aside a specific time to do that. Don't just pray without ceasing. Because somebody says, oh, I pray without ceasing, but I don't set a time aside. No, I want you to set a time aside. To specifically and actively and consciously with your full heart, inter- don't, see, that's the thing. Very often we, we take prayer and um, it's like prayer is interrupting what we're doing. I mean, or it's like what we're doing is actually interrupting prayer. That's, that's the bad one. So when I'm driving, yes, I can pray at all times. But what I really want to do, want you to do, is interrupt what you're doing to pray. All right? So take a time, a specific time after your Bible reading is the best time. Set aside five to ten minutes to pray, pray and start building on that. Okay? Revival. This is about your personal Revival. So why are the rooms not rooms of your heart not shaken like in the books of Acts book of Acts why do you not have what God might have for you why does God feel distant from you perhaps it's because you have not drawn near to him in prayer enough but he is there he is waiting he is available and you have access through Christ amen